You're listening to episode 26 of LangFM, the podcast about people at the intersection of language and technology. Before I introduce today's guest, I have great news. LangFM was nominated for Best Podcast About Interpreting at the 2016 Prose Community Choice Awards for the second time in a row. And also for the second time in a row, LangFM actually won first prize. This year, I'm sharing the honors with Veronica Gutierrez, my Mexican colleague and host of Terpwise. Check out her podcast at terpwise.com. A big thank you to all of you who have nominated or voted in the Pros Awards. Thank you to all the guests who agreed to come on the show. And thanks to you. Yes, you, the listener. Now, on with the show. My guest today is Jochen Hummel. Even if you're not familiar with his name, you have almost certainly heard of the piece of software that he helped create and that many translators rely upon each and every day to get their work done. I'm speaking of Trados. Jochen and I talk about how Trados came to be, what he's been up to since selling Trados to SDL, and what the future holds for language technology. Take a listen. First of all, actually, I would like to uh, I would like to talk a little bit about uh, your personal background. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about where you're where you're from, and how you got into the world of languages and, and technology. I guess. Okay. Well, then I have to go way back because <laughs> I've been around <laughs> in this industry already for a while. Um, I'm originally from Stuttgart, uh, Germany, and. Um, um, the first company I founded was actually Trados. And um, at that time, IBM was starting to um, localize their products, probably one of the first or if not the first IT company uh, going into mainstream localization. And they were looking for people with some computer background and, and some language background um, to help them localizing their products. And I didn't really have a Good language background. I spent some time in the US, so spoke some English, but um, I knew a bit about computers. And so that's how I got into this whole field. So uh, the language skills were basically, well, not self-taught, but were from your time in the US. And uh, the, the technology skills, did you teach them yourselves? Because this was uh, pretty much early days in terms of computers and technology in general. Yeah, correct. Uh, I never had the pleasure to study informatics or software engineering. So yes, indeed, uh, I'm an autodidact and self-thought, which was possible at that time um, with some good books and with a lot of patience and the will to fight your way through. Um, you could kind of teach yourself um, how to program. And so, yeah, I'm a self-autodidact. Yeah, and in terms of programming, we're talking about what basic Pascal or for the nerds among us. Yeah, at that time, at that time, the very first was basic. Uh, then very quickly Pascal. You're right, that was the time. At IBM, of course, I learned how to uh, program on mainframe machines. 
Um, so actually, I learned quite a bit at IBM uh, because it's mid-80s we're talking about. Um, they had already um, at that time many technologies which are um, standard today, but at that time were like very, very advanced. So already at that time, they had email, for example. Uh, they already had tagging languages for tagging documents, uh, sort of an early XML, HTML. And so they had a lot of stuff, which was um, very advanced at that time. Yeah. Um, so how did the work? Were you a consultant or an employee of IBM or what was the relationship? No, no, I started as a, a contractor as a freelancer and then very quickly out of this founded together with a school buddy Eko Knüphausen uh, Trados because we IBM was also one of the very first companies to make use of computer assisted translation and um, that's where I learned the concept of translation memories and um, terminology management systems and uh, but they were running on a, on a very expensive hardware and of course was Uh, for normal translators, impossible to to buy and use these um, this technology, and that's when we thought hmm, this could be also done uh, on a PC um, at uh, affordable cost, and that's how the whole idea for funding and creating Trados started. Okay, so so you saw basically there was a need or maybe a, a potential need for translators using this this new. Um technology and and that's where you, how you started Trados. Yeah. I mean that's where I got to know the the concept of these technologies and um and of course we thought hey uh, that's a that's a cool technology that's a great way of doing things and um that's how we got into the, that development and Trados started as a service company but then we very quickly um got into developing software in that field. And that's how the whole whole thing started. And I think the first applications were multi-term and translators workbench. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. So multi-term being a tool to to manage terminology, which I think is is especially important for big companies because they want to have or need to have consistent terminology. And translators workbench, um, if I'm not mistaken, is the the translation memory tool. So just very quickly for those who've never heard of translation memory, it's basically the more you translate, uh, the, the, the more it helps you to keep your work consistent. So if you've translated something before, it will sort of recognize that and give you that as a suggestion. Is that a fair summary? That's a fair summary. Yeah. So <laughs> okay. the, to put it into one sentence, never translate the same thing twice. Um, and um, so, and Yeah, I mean, what we did is we didn't invent the concept, but I think what we did is we made it commercially accessible for normal translators. Yeah, and um, if I'm not, I, I'm taking this from a Wikipedia article, so any, anybody who's interested in that can can read it as well. But I think you had a few big clients which helped you very much in the beginning. I think Microsoft were among them, and also the the European Commission, which of course has a huge need for consistent terminology and translation. Um, but at that time, when we won Microsoft and the European Commission, Trados was already uh, quite an established business. Yeah. So, um, of course, that helped us to get to the next stage. Um, but um, that was in the in 97 that we won both um, um, customers. But already before, of course, by that time, we already were quite established amongst from freelance translators to industry businesses. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I'm just trying to imagine what that was like. I mean, uh, you, you were a company already, but maybe not a huge company. Did, did Microsoft and the commission approach you and, and ask you, we heard, we heard you have this great product, we'd, we'd like to use it? Or, how did, or did you pitch it to them? Or how did that work? Um, well, it was 97. And by that time, we were already, as I said, fairly established. So we were doing our marketing the way we could. Yeah? Um, but um, we were already going, for example, to CBIT. Uh, the trade show, the big computer trade show in Germany, which was really cool at that time. Um, and we, well, we went to conferences. Uh, we were exhibiting um, in different places and so on. So we were um, already f quite known at that time. And uh, of course, when you land a deal with the commission, um, that's a very long sales cycle. Um, so we... I think we were pitching and presenting and talking to these people for years already. And uh, Microsoft, um, actually, indirectly, their supply base was using Trados already for years. And they figured out that um, Trados was the only third-party tool, uh, which was mission-critical for their release process. And you're right, at that time, we were still a fairly small company. And that kind of scared them because they thought, oops, what happens if somebody buys Stratos and then we are and take the tool off the market or does something different with it? And then we are exposed in releasing our products. And that's when they um, actually uh, bought a share in Stratos to have a foot in the door. I see. Okay. Uh, there's actually one question that I've always been curious about as an as an interpreter, um, because I, I dealt a little bit with technology and language technology when when I was at university, and I was always wondering if if you ever had plans to release a, a product that was more geared towards interpreters, so maybe a sort of a simplified version of multi-term for glossaries, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean we we did talk to interpreters, um, and these requirements did come up. Um, But it was never so clear cut and um, there were so many um, other things to do in, the, in our traditional market um, that we, it never really materialized. Um, and I know that some interpreters were using uh, multi-term to prepare um, uh, themselves for, um, for certain geeks or so. Um, but we never coupled it, for example, with voice or did more advanced things. Uh, to um, support translators or interpreters. Yeah, yeah but interesting to see that uh, it was at, at least on your radar. So that's that's nice to see. Um, so in, in 2005, Trados was acquired by SDL. Did you stay on in the company or, or did you move on to other adventures after that? Um, I stayed there still for a couple of months to help the integration. And But then um, I... Kind of after six months or so, left the left the company. So now we have 2016. Uh, can you give us a, a high level overview of what you did in the mean, meanwhile, and then maybe we can talk a little about a little bit about your current projects. So after Trados was sold, um, I stayed on with SDL, let's say for um, for six months or so, uh, to help to integrate. And but then it became pretty quickly clear that um, there was. No real future there for me. And then I did something very, very different um, because um, in the Trados transaction, I had a pretty tough non-compete. So 
for quite a while, I couldn't really um, continue in that space. And also having worked for Trados for more than 20 years, so I was also prepared for doing something new. And then I went into something totally different into online social gaming. So I don't know whether you recall a product which was pretty hyped in that time, time called Second Life uh, Virtual World. And we wanted to build a kind of second uh, life kind of product, but not putting it into a fantasy setting, but rather into, um, into a real setting. So to have a virtual world, which is actually a copy of the real world, to do all kinds of more practical things. Yeah? And um, so that business I founded in 2006 was called Metaversum. The product was called Twinity. And um, that was maybe technically a bit too early. Uh, so... Um, it was technically quite a challenge to uh, to get this done, and then we um, in two thousand eight, we or two thousand nine, we couldn't really close uh, further financing round, and then we passed this business on to an Australian company, which is now running it. And then I came a bit back into um, the space of language uh, with Esteem and Corion, uh, two companies. Steam I joined and Corian I co-founded, which I'm running today. So I read a little bit about Corian, uh, and I think the idea is to sort of fuse uh, knowledge management and language management. But um, <laughs> see, I did my homework there. Very good. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about what that means in in practice? What What do you offer? What What What's the thing you're working on? Okay. Um, well, there are two different worlds, the world of knowledge and the world of language. And although you would think that they should overlap quite a bit, as a matter of fact, they don't. Uh, so the people dealing with knowledge go to different conferences, use different products and talk to different people uh, than the language people. And so... Technically, when you process knowledge, typically you try to relate things. So you create a taxonomy or an ontology. Every node represents a certain meaning, and then you create links between them. So that's how you classically process knowledge. And of course, there's software to do that. And these nodes, of course, are language independent because they represent a certain meaning like a profession or a product or a tool or whatever, right? Um, but as a matter of fact, of course, we humans, when we talk about things, we use language to talk about it. So in the end, these nodes, which are in the knowledge graph, they are the labels, of course, are language or terminology. And the language people, on the other hand, they're mainly concerned about finding the right word. So either for content creation or for content translation, um, they're, they want to find the right word uh, to express something or the right word in a context or used by your organization. So they rather have then, um, if they use a good terminology database like Multiterm, they have also a concept-oriented approach. So they try to group the things by meaning and then collect the different labels in the different languages. But these concepts, uh, they are not really linked to each other. And... Um, it would be very helpful for the language people if these concepts would be um, structured in a in a graph, in a taxonomy, ontology, because it would allow you then to explore language and to understand how these things relate to each other. 
And on the other hand, for the knowledge people, it would be very helpful to use the resources which the language people create because a lot of the knowledge is – there's a lot of knowledge in terminology databases or other linguistic resources. And many of these knowledge graphs could be created automatically by – or at least semi-automatically by making use of the resources uh, language people are sitting on. And so we want to bring these two things together. And that's exactly what Corian is doing. It, it actually sounds rather complicated. I mean, uh, I mean, it's it, it's clear what you're trying to do, but I imagine it uh, it to be quite uh, complicated. So, do you use technology for that, like machine translation or something like that, or uh, how do you how do you approach it? Yeah, you're right. It's not simple, um, and that's of course a challenge for us in rolling out the product, first developing it, but also in rolling out the such product and explaining and. Um, establishing the concept uh, because indeed whenever you bring two worlds together um, both sides have to learn a bit and they have to learn the benefits um, but on the other hand that's exactly what Corion is doing uh, it makes something which is could be or potentially can be complex um, it tries to make it very easy so it visualizes things in a very easy way and uh, it allows you to search and browse and explore databases in a way you otherwise could never do. And of course, we're also supporting people in creating these resources. Um, but for many purposes, you have to create these resources anyhow in one way or the other. And a tool like Corian, of course, makes this then much easier. Yeah, and I think that that ties in nicely to the with the next topic I wanted to talk about, which is uh, sort of multilingualism in in Europe and the digital single market and yeah. and that kind of thing. Absolutely, because that's one of the areas, of course, we um, we where Korean could be um, a tool which helps a lot to um, enable cross border interoperability, cross border and e commerce. Yeah, because there's a big push going on uh, at the moment, first of all, for a, for a digital single market. So that's an initiative by the European Commission, which covers a lot of things. So it covers stuff like geo-blocking and, uh, I guess, electronic payments and, you know, just making making the single market more fit for the digital age. Because we all have seen those problems uh, trying to order something online in another country is often more difficult than ordering something from the US, uh, strangely enough. Um, and and I think that's also what you, what you said right now. And and I think an example you like to use is is also online shopping. If you're if you're looking for I don't know shoes or, or a photo camera, that's very difficult to do in across languages and and across countries as well, because there's no easy way uh, for having an easy search and then getting lots of results from different countries. Because it may be cheaper somewhere else, or you may be able to get a better product somewhere else. It's it's very complicated apparently. If you want to do cross-border e-commerce um, and you, let's say you, you have an e-commerce company in Germany and now you want to sell to your neighboring countries, uh, um, the first thing which comes into mind of people is, okay, well, we have to translate our website. Uh, yes, you have to do this. Uh, so you have to translate what I call static content, uh, your website needs to be translated. And then, of course, people think, mm, yeah, but I also need to translate my product catalog. Um, so the dynamic content, a bit more difficult. And, of course, an online catalog is probably more dynamic, changes more often than a printed catalog. But both translating static and dynamic content um, is something um, which 
in a way, it's just a different medium, uh, but it has been done already for decades. And there are companies out there who can do this and will do this for you. Um, so difficult and expensive and so on, but in the end, you find people who will do this for you. Um, but there are other things. Before people come to your website, they have to find you. Uh, and um, you're probably uh, familiar with concepts like search engine optimization and search engine marketing. Um you need to make sure that you're found on the internet. And people, uh, if you want to reach your French customers, being a German company, of course, they will use French terms then for searching for offers in a certain, um, in a certain category. So your search engine uh, optimization, search engine marketing, of course, needs to work also in other languages. So you need to be able to manage the terms and your content, not only in one language, but in many languages. But once people have found your website, they will start to search for products. And again, um, they might not search exactly for the terms your translator has used, but maybe for other terms. Often people name things in a colloquial way and not necessarily the way which is correct. So you want them to find um, the right products in your catalog. So here you're already very quickly in an area where you have to categorize your knowledge, your company terminology, and um, not only translate it, but somehow make sure that things like search engine optimization and search engine marketing, product search, that all these things work also in other languages. So where do you see this going forward? Is, is, it, is it going to be almost everything uh, like machine translation or, I mean, done sort of automatically or, or by, by machines? Or uh, will, will human translators and, and human experts still play a big role? Do you see sort of a synergy between the two? What's your take on where things are heading at the moment? It will be a mixture. So um, what I often find with people who praise certain solutions or in the academic area, they always try to push one certain concept. But uh, when you have a complex task, um, you always use many tools and somehow tie them smartly together. So it will be always a mixture of everything, depending on the resources you have at hand, depending on the money you have at hand, depending on the size of the problem and so on. So um, what is important is that companies understand and have their, let's say, their knowledge the knowledge about the, the markets, about their products, that they have this clear and straight, that they understand it, that they have access to it, and also uh, that they have this in many languages. But that's an effort, but um, it can be done because in the end, you often talk only about five, ten thousand concepts. You already have the knowledge of a company covered, and this you can have in 20, 30, 40 languages. Once you have this, then you can decide where you use machine translation, where you need computer-assisted translation, what quality levels you need. Um, for many things, uh, machine translation is absolutely enough. Um, so then you can kind of pick and choose and select the tool which is the best for a given task. I think in one of your blog posts, you also mentioned um, current trends like uh, big data and uh, machine learning and so on. Are, are you working with that already for, for the projects you, you have going on at the moment? Is, does that play a role? It's trendy. Yeah. Um, and people have different ideas what big data or so means. Um, 
I would rather call it smart data because the databases we're working with, they are not that big. Um, uh, so it's not billions of records, but let's say millions. Um, um, but there's a lot of knowledge in this data. And um, I gave you the sample before in e-commerce that you have to be able or you have to enable your customers to search for your products. Um, customers have to be able to find you. Um, but on the other hand, on e-commerce, customers do talk back to you. Um, so customers give you feedback, for example. Um, customers do talk about your products and about your site on social media. And of course, they do it in their own language. And it's very important for companies to mine this knowledge. And you won't have, if you're a smaller company, there won't be billions of tweets about your product, but maybe thousands or ten thousands um, in different languages, uh, maybe a hundred thousands. And to get the information out of um, these, this data in different languages um, can be crucial for the success of your company. And again, it requires that you have your knowledge well mapped out and then you can use data analytics, uh, cement, uh, sentiment analysis, um, and um, different tools to answer the questions and get the insights you want to have about certain markets, certain products. Uh, there's one thing I've been wondering about, and maybe you haven't have an idea. Um, very often, the, the multilingualism in Europe is—I mean, it's it's uh, a rich tradition, obviously. But man, many people say uh, it's an obstacle. We should maybe all, all switch to to English only. It would make uh, things so much easier. And and on the on the other side, uh, we have uh, the U uh, the U.S. America, which which is uh, basically. Unilingual, maybe Spanish uh, is playing a bigger role, but it's basically English. But interestingly, all the the language or many language technology innovations come from the US. I mean, just Google Translate is a very obvious example. Um, I'm wondering, do you have an idea why that is? Is it because Europe is so fragmented and 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 there are no big players? Why do you think that is? I can give you a long answer to that. There are many reasons. Uh, um, first of all, you're right. Um, it is, I would say it is a barrier, definitely. It doesn't make it easier that we have these many languages in Europe. And indeed, for a European business, especially when you come from a smaller country, it's hard to grow because um, growing abroad, growing in a different, into different cultures, different languages is not easy. So the American company, of course, has the advantage that in a fairly homogeneous market with one language, one set of rules, they can address 300 million um, well-funded customers and can very quickly grow to a certain size. Uh, um, but every problem is or every challenge is at the same time also an opportunity because the American business very quickly will grow to 50, 100, 250 million before they go abroad. And at that time, of course, um, monolingualism or American way of doing things is in the DNA of management team, but also in the DNA of the product. So they have a harder time typically than on the world market, on the global market. Whereas the European company is faced with this much earlier. And while in Europe, especially if you move in, in, in a professional environment, most people have a certain command of English and you get away often without translating your product. Uh, the global market is definitely multilingual because um, countries like uh, China or Japan, Brazil or so, Russia, um, 
they have they will never accept another language. So the global market is definitely multilingual, and you can turn a challenge um, into an asset because then you're already better prepared. Um, and I wish you, the European politicians would understand this, and instead of kind of trying to avoid this thorny subject or even suggesting that people should rather learn English, um, they should take this as an opportunity because as a matter of fact, um, being able to deal with languages and with foreign cultures is a huge asset. And the people you mentioned or the products you mentioned like Google Translate or many of these technologies actually have been originally developed in Europe or it's Europeans who run these projects. Um, so, yeah. So, Many technologies and many ideas and many of the people who are working in this, um, they actually originate from here, no surprise. Yeah. But um, the Americans, of course, are very smart in hiring or buying the right companies. And uh, I think there's another reason why there's such a uh, recently um, a renaissance of natural language processing uh, in the US and that's the whole, er whole area of artificial intelligence. I think artificial intelligence is really at the brink of um, becoming mainstream and changing, changing the world, um, changing the way we're working and, um, and you won't type or you won't communicate with AI through a keyboard quite like you, you will talk to intelligent cars and, and robots and so on. And also the knowledge which AI needs to process. I'm always saying half of our knowledge is probably textual um, and the other half is numerical. And whatever is textual is, of course, language and whatever is language is multilingual. And in order to build smart AI systems, you need a lot of natural language processing. And um, yeah, Big companies like IBM and Google and so on, they are, of course, investing heavily into these fields. And if Europe is not careful, um, we might also, in the end, in a couple of years, license language technology from the US, although most of these language technologies originate from here and we do have the problem. Uh, so we should be the world leaders in that. But unfortunately, um, it's... Um, there's not the drive and the push here uh, and the awareness of what kind of opportunity this would be for European IT. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. Um, very, very, very interesting answers there. Um, to to uh, maybe going towards the end, I, I, I would like to talk a little bit about uh, the other initiative you're working on, um, namely the LT Innovate, LT Observe and, and so on and so forth. So recently at the uh, end of May or um, um, mid-May, there was a conference here in Brussels, uh, the, the LTI Summit, which is um, a very interesting conference format, actually, where uh, people who have sort of a, a need in terms of language or language technology can get together with uh, vendors or companies who have solutions uh, in, in the field of language technology. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how you, um, how you started that or how, how, that, how that came about? Well, um, little disclosure, I'm chairman of LT Innovate. Um, so LT Innovate is um, kind of an industry association, an association of about 200 language technology companies. And um, whatever deals with language technology is quite fragmented um, because it's a complex technology, um, but also 
very often you have a company which takes care of um, language technology in a certain language. So it's also fragmented over the language dimension. Yeah. As a result, you have many LT companies which are um, rather small and highly specialized in, let's say, sentiment analysis in Italian or speech recognition in Finnish or I don't know what. Right? So many small, highly specialized companies uh, with cool technology, but of course they have a hard time selling that technology, uh, especially today uh, where so much um, uh, where so much noise is out there in in the in the market. Uh, so um, in order to come that overcome that fragmentation, um, we thought that it's good to have an industry association so that we can speak with one voice and can collaborate and do these kind of things. Um, but also, um, when you put yourself into the shoes of a buyer, let's assume you do want to have a product which supports all European languages, you end up licensing very different technologies. Um, so you might license the Scandinavian language from company A and the Baltic languages from company B and Germany, German from this company. So you have to put a lot of technologies together and all these companies have different license agreements, different business models. They run on different operating systems. They have different APIs and so on. It's a nightmare. Very often technologies are actually there. Uh, it's not so that technology doesn't exist, but it's not really accessible and often not really accessible technically, but sometimes also business-wise because you end up to have then with 20, 30 different license agreements. And what we try to do is to create a software-as-a-service platform where with one contract and with one business model, companies who want to support multilingual can discover, test, prototype, and then also license technology, um, different technologies, um, with one um, with one contract and uh, under one platform and under one business model, and that's of course beneficial for the people who use uh, language technology, but also for the people who are offering it, um, because most of these companies, as I said, are rather small and typically have a hard time in selling or uh, offering then their products uh, under software as a service model, and that's what the LTI cloud. Uh, is about and what LT Innovate is trying to push um, so that it becomes easier to make use of language technology. Um, just as a final question, during during the um, uh, recent conference here in, in, in Brussels or maybe during earlier iterations, um, there are these, these buyer challenges where people can sort of present a challenge to the language industry, basically, to put it very simply. Was, was there ever a project or a proposal or challenge uh, where you said, wow, that's really in, in, innovative. I would never have thought of that or I would never have expected something like that, something very new maybe? Um, yeah, um, they are very interesting challenges. Um, some of them are rather um, like, I mean, you want to be able that you can talk to your car, uh, but not only in five languages, in all European languages. So that's more like, okay, how can I scale uh, a rather known technology? But uh, we had one buyer, challenges, buyer challenge Uh, from a company who wanted to automate the way um, people work with law firms or with lawyers. Right? So um, you come to the office, you talk to a lawyer, you describe your case, and then typically they need to 
understand what's going on, but then they need to uh, start to search and find similar cases, find related laws, uh, find contracts which are matching. And that's a lot of um, searching. And depending on how well your lawyer um, understands and knows where to search, um, takes more time or less time. Um, um, imagine you you would use um, while you're talking you would use um, automatic speech recognition uh, couple it with a multilingual knowledge system like Corion which starts to understand where in the knowledge graph we are actually talking about uh, and what kind of legal problem we are addressing um, and already while you're talking already links into reference cases into reference documents, uh, of course, documents the whole thing while you're talking. Um, and um, in this way, automates the interaction between a customer um, or somebody looking for legal advice and a lawyer. Uh, um, many of these things are cross-border. Uh, um, not many, but often they are cross-border. Um, well, as long as you stay within a legal context, it's, of course, monolingual. But when you go cross-border, you have cross-border issues, cross-border contracts. And then, of course, you very quickly come into cross-language search, into machine translation, uh, into all these uh, technologies which we um, intend to offer under the LTI cloud. Interesting. That's, that's a very nice project, yeah. As an example, um, and there you already see if you want to build such thing, and these technologies, they are all there. Um, um, it's more a question of you don't really have to invent language technology. Most of the stuff is there. Uh, it's more a question of how do you put it together, uh, what kind of database knowledge system you have below so that you can process the information, and then how do you um, plug all this together so that it works smoothly and that it supports many languages uh, in the if you are in a European context. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the, uh, the next conference is in uh, November, the LT Accelerate. Is that something related? Yeah. So the next conference is uh, in November, LT Accelerate. And that's a slightly, that conference has a slightly different focus. Uh, we do this together with uh, an US expert on sentiment analysis. Uh, his name is Seth Grimes, who also has an important blog and runs um, a sentiment analytics conference in the US. And um, so we do this together and that's more focused on, it's more business focused, um, more solution focused and um, focuses more on um, text analytics and multilingual text analytics, you could say. Uh, very cool conference. Um, I really like that one. Every time I go there, I get so many good ideas and uh, there's very interesting pitches, um, really worth coming. Great. Excellent. So if, if people wanted to know uh, more about these different projects that you're working on, what's the best way for them to find out more information? Um, well, I mean, if they want to know more about what I'm at Corion and Esteem are doing, of course, we our websites are a good place and our, to subscribe to our newsletter and also to read our blog. When it comes to uh, LT Innovate, um, we have a directory of all companies there. 
And also the LTI cloud is now up and running. And uh, what we have done is to make it a bit easier to understand how um, these different technologies play together. Because indeed, whenever you deal with language, it is complex. It's just the way it is. The processing language is not easy. Um, but what we have done is, for example, for the most important use cases for e-commerce, we have created so-called solution templates or solution architectures where we show um, how do you do product search? How do you do uh, customer support? Where do you need voice? Where do you need machine translation? Uh, where do you need uh, terminology management? And so there we show how these different components play together explain it a bit, and then from there link them to companies who can take care of these specific technologies or cover certain languages. So um, the ltiCloud.eu uh, solutions, um, that's also a very good place to understand what can be done with language technology and how these different components uh, interact. And so that would be a good first place to get started. And if you want to know more, well, then of course you can uh, drop me an email. This has been episode 26 of the Langefam podcast, a conversation with Jochen Hummel of Trados and now Corian Fame. You can find more information and links in the show notes over at www.langfm.audio. I also recommend you listen to episode 21, where I talk to Australian-born and Brussels-based communication strategist Matthew Lowry about language technology and related topics. Again, that's over at www.langfm.audio. Enjoy listening to my podcast? You should subscribe in iTunes or a podcast app of your choice so you don't miss future episodes. And boy, do I have great episodes coming up. While you're in iTunes, why not leave a rating or a review? That would be much appreciated and it really helps other people find out about the podcast. Thank you and talk to you soon on Langer Family.